Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this Friday's edition of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you on this Friday morning. As you can see, I'm not just here with the great and amazing Keith Rao this week, but Ooh. we also brought in one of his amazing friends, Cammy Sargent, to join the party and tell us some of the, the inside scoop of what's going on in Hollywood. And I'm going to guess we're going to find out some inside scoop of what it was like in their little corner of Fox back in the day. But uh, before we get dive into it too much, uh, Keith, why don't you say hello, introduce your friend, Cammy. Oh, man, Tim, your introductions of me get better and better with every week. I mean, really, it just blows my head up even bigger. Um, I'm surprised it fits in the camera anymore. Um, anyway, uh, I'm really pleased to have Cammy Sargent here with us today. Um, she was one of my really good friends, is one of my really good friends, I should say. Um, we kind of grew up together at Fox, um, and we got ourselves both each other through some really rumpy, bumpy roads, to say the least. Um, but, you know, she was a great friend to have, and we had, a, you know, I've always said that my time at Fox was made a lot easier by the people I got to work with. And Cammy was one of those people that just made work fun, even right. though it was stressful, but it was fun. Cammy, tell us the truth. The way Keith talks about himself, he sounds really important at Fox and he was running the entire department. Yes, I was. A thousand percent. <laughs> A thousand percent. See, she knows. Beyond um, anyway, Cammy worked on some great campaigns, Fault in Our Stars being one of her, her breakouts, and uh, she spent some time in Netflix. But Cammy, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your history, how you ended up where you are today? Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, so good to be here. I graduated college, and my first job was actually at Fox. I spent my bulk, the bulk of my career at Fox, actually, at a division of Fox that no longer exists called Fox Atomic, which was their sort of screen gems genre division answer to my space. Um, fortunately, didn't didn't last very long. Um, and from Atomic, I moved over to Fox Searchlight. And that was pretty incredible in terms of my timing there. I started, I believe it was 2008, and it was right after Juno. Um, and so I was there. And Juno was actually their first film um, to hit $100 million. I remember my first day. Tom Rothman had the company downstairs sort of celebrating this monumental achievement that it was their first film to hit hundred million. Um, and I was there, you know, for their first Oscar with Slumdog Millionaire and The Wrestler and 500 Days of Summer, um, basically wow. through Black Swan. Yeah, it was a pretty incredible time to be there, always in creative marketing. Um, and actually my mentor at the time was there and, and we had an in-house editor and I started producing AV spots with him, trailers and TV spots. And um, my mentor suggested that I, you know, hop over to an agency and be a producer because I had a good eye for that kind of thing. And so um, I left Searchlight and went to the refinery, spent a little bit of time there. I realized the agency side wasn't really for me, uh, just in terms of what it means to be a producer and bring in work and the schmoozing and you know, it just wasn't a part of the job that I really loved. But in working there, um, I worked with Tony Stella and Fox was a client of ours. Um, and I was really desperate to get back to the studio side. I really just missed being part of the more strategic conversations um, and being in those rooms that are, you know, making these creative decisions. And um, Tony was kind enough to offer me a job at Fox and that's where I met Keith. And, um, I spent a good, probably seven years as what we refer to as big Fox, um, working on a lot of really great campaigns there. Um, and then when the Disney merger 
was sort of announced and felt imminent, I think a lot of us were trying to figure out what the next move was. And at that exact time, Netflix was trying to get films off the ground. They had just released Bright and they were now really invested in films and wanted to go all in. Um, And so they were building a team to do their films marketing. Um, And so I was approached to come over there and, and run one of the films teams. And it was definitely a daunting idea, but exciting. I think as a theatrical marketer, you know, our measure of success is opening weekend and we live and die by those numbers. And what does that mean for streaming? And so I was a little hesitant, but also just excited to, you know, and streaming was the future. And it just felt like it was, um, it was just the next right step. So that that transition, like I imagine that transition being very difficult because you're, I feel like from, from the outsider point of view, it's like the studios have a creative focus. It's very campaign driven, a specific project. You can see the poster, you can see the trailer. It takes you know months to roll this thing out. And from the Netflix point of view, because it's hidden from the outsider point of view, it just seems like it's project by project, maybe, but really it feels like strategy by strategy is what you play it off and not as much of a creative move. Is that some of what you made you nervous? And one, I'm wondering if I'm curious and, and <laughs> I'm on that. But if like, that was some of what that transition was like to try to figure out what is the scorecard here at Netflix compared to the scorecard at Fox? Absolutely. And I think when I, you know, before I joined Netflix, which was 2018, um, they were more invested in sort of brand marketing. So like Netflix as a value proposition, Um, And as I was moving over there and films was getting started, they were much more invested in title level marketing. So really focused on individual titles and using that to bring in subscribers and get people in the door. So so it it paralleled a little bit in terms of what I had been doing at a theatrical studio. Um, But then as I spent more time there, you know, the streamers, they they shift like the business model shifts and, and the needs shift and the goals shift. Um, you know, the, the level of investment in marketing at Netflix wasn't the same as it was on the studio side, because they have a platform that does a lot of the heavy lift for you. I mean, you think about the way people make decisions to watch something on Netflix, or most streamers for that matter, they spend time on the platform and they're like, oh, this looks good. I'm going to watch the trailer for this. This looks cool. And they're scrolling and scrolling and like, or it's word of mouth. Somebody has told them about an amazing show or movie that they have to watch. Um, you know, so so realizing that I actually, you know, it, it was an amazing experience to be there. And I learned so much about streaming. But I think I missed, again, that 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 value placed on marketing and that level of investment. You know, Netflix doesn't spend the way that a theatrical studio will spend. I think a lot of the other streamers do, like with Amazon and And Apple and Hulu, they are invested in marketing because they still have to bring subscribers in in a way that Netflix doesn't necessarily. Um, And so I I really did miss that. And actually, when I I left Netflix, I planned to go back to a theatrical studio. And COVID happened and theaters closed. So I landed at Apple for the time being. But it, it seemed so backwards at the time, you know, to leave a streamer to go to theatrical when the future is so clearly streaming. But I really list. I, I miss that level of investment in marketing. And as a marketer, you know that's that's really important. Those stakes of opening weekend and what that means for a success of a film, not always, but most of the time. And I really miss that. You know, there's clear value in that. 
Um, Ethan, I and it's sort of talk about the we have this phrase called the what to watch problem. And yeah. this idea that, you know, there's these cultural events that make a lot of sense, like pop culture steps in and tells us what to watch or tune into this thing. Um, and a lot of the theatrical marketing really kind of solves that problem. It, it puts the poster in front of you, every park bench and the trailers make you anticipate it. Uh, you can relate to the characters because they're, you know, it's Mavericks coming back or whatever. Like there's this great stuff that you know that you're going to tune into. On the streamer side, we feel like nobody knows what to watch. I mean, the, the investment of time to decide what to watch is so great. What's happening inside of the streamers that they're not... Can they solve that problem? Do they care not to solve that problem? Or are they trying to solve that problem? I mean, what's happening inside there that it's uh, it's obvious and yet still not um, being resolved? Yeah, I think they're absolutely trying to solve the problem, especially at Netflix where they're really in the volume business. You know, I think Apple is more quality over quantity and and I think some of the other streamers and maybe Disney sort of functions the same way. But there were a lot of conversations at Netflix in terms of curation and how you know, we have the algorithm that everyone always talks about, the mysterious algorithm that's supposed to really serve you um, what they think that you want to watch based on what other people are watching and how you guys have similar tastes. But it was definitely, you know, it's definitely something that they tried to solve. And even looking at the amount of titles that we were releasing every year from a film's perspective, it was about 200 titles that we would have. And we had to prioritize, you know, what we thought was going to help move the business and bring in subscribers, um, you know, what was important from an awards perspective, um, what we knew people were liking to watch on the platform. So having more consistency there in terms of, you know, if we bring in these underserved audiences, how do we keep them? We need to be making more for them and consistently putting it on the platform. So I think there's definitely a lot of thought that goes into curation and, and, the idea of choice, but it's a challenge when there's so much out there. Sure. You know? Yeah. I think that the, you know, the idea of trying to keep subscribers. So not lose subscribers is a very yeah. different strategy than one of box office mojo, like looking at that opening weekend and knowing that you are competing against, you know, industry greats from past, present and future to, to right. make, mark on there that right. uh, that totally different drive I, I kind of i would kind of uh, imagine that the, some of you are like where, where do i go where do i fit in today's you know hollywood economy it's it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah honestly it's thrown me into a serious existential crisis in terms of you know what i want my path to be as a marketer right. because like i said at, at the streamers the the value placed on marketing is different than it is for theatrical um, and, and the size of the campaigns, like that was something that I really missed too. Like my last, my last film that I worked on before I left Netflix was Extraction. It was a Russo brothers, Chris Hemsworth movie. Um, and I think to this day, it's still the most successful film on the service. And, you know, there's a lot of people that work on these projects. So I don't want to undercut anyone's work, but at the end of the day, we, we did a trailer and we did, um, some social assets. Like it's, it wasn't a full campaign. And as a marketer, it's hard to take satisfaction in that versus, you know, Keith mentioned Fault in Our Stars. And, and that was a seemingly tiny movie that we were able to make so big because of the marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's where the, the passion for me comes from. Yeah. And we were thinking, 
Cameron last week, and she was just reading yeah. all those stars was. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd be curious, Cammy. Do you think that those days, like, take Fault in Our Stars, for example, yeah. which was a phenomenal campaign, even though I, you know, wanted to bang my head against the wall after that song, hearing that song. At <laughs> but, yeah, me both. yeah, but do you think that's going to be possible to replicate again in this market, especially given what Disney Plus just announced this past week with sort of the dual release of Black Widow, which is arguably one of their biggest ten poles coming out this year? Yeah, it, it, it's a. It's a great question. I mean, I think it's interesting because it 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 will make it will make the marketing around theatrical even harder, right? If mm-hmm. you're going day and day, you're competing with watching at home. I think there's so many people that still really love the theatrical experience and can't wait to go back. I don't know, you know, I, I can be a little bit negative about it in terms of of where I think theatrical fits in in the future. Um, but I think it makes the job even more challenging. I think for, for Disney IP, it's a little bit easier for them because it's right. so well known and people yeah. love it and they know what they're getting. But if you have these smaller films like a fault in our stars, which probably wouldn't get theatrical at this point anymore, anyways, right. um, it makes it even harder to try to get people into a theater to go see those types of films. So I feel like, I feel like there's definitely a shift and I don't you know, I don't think there's going to be those sort of fault moments anymore, sadly. I know that was kind of a throwaway comment, but I think there's a lot of weight in that, that where you, where you say fault of the stars would not be a theatrical today. And probably more important and an interesting look at is fault in our stars would, could easily be made today. Like there's actually yeah. a lot of opportunity oh, yeah. for those type of items. Yeah. That, those, that, that gateway or those, um, 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 you know, requirements to be a film because you have to be only theatrical. That's pretty exciting for some filmmakers. But I think yeah. there's a, a missed moment. And we were talking about a little bit last week of like, there's a shared experience. And Fall in Our Stars would not have been the same if you weren't in the theater together experiencing it with, you know, 300 of your favorite friends crying at those right scenes and, that and, and living it out together. Well, I think it also goes to the point, and I know I keep talking about this, but I just find it very interesting. So Tom, Cammy, in case you didn't know, Tom Rothman did a podcast about three or four weeks ago. Um, and it was kind of fascinating. Of course, it was with a lacrosse player because, you know, he loves his lacrosse. Um, but his big thing, because he runs one of the only, well, the only studio now, I believe, that doesn't have a streaming partner, basically, Sony. Right. So his contention was, I'm always going to get the talent because films will all films released on a streamer don't necessarily have the cultural moments that films that are released theatrically do. So there are, there's actors, there's talent that want to be their films and their projects to be cultural moments and streaming doesn't necessarily capture that because of, as you said, the mere volume of what they release and it's right. just one week it's there and then boom, it's gone. Whereas like yeah. a film, a traditional theatrical release, you have the opening weekend and then you could potentially have a three or four week run where it's just dominating. And it's just all anybody talks about. Um, but the streaming doesn't really have that. So it'll be interesting to see. And you, I, you made a point that I didn't really think about, but Fault probably wouldn't be released theatrically right now. It would be dumped on a streamer. It'd get like, like you said, it would get us trailer. And right. probably be right. it. And just- I mean, yeah, I think, look, I think, 
I think I'll have to respectfully disagree with Tom in the sense that like, I, I think you can, I think you do create cultural moments from, from streamers, you know, bird box ended up being a huge yeah. cultural moment and, you know, um, Mandalorian to all the boys I loved before, which that I would actually equate to more of a fault and, and fault probably would have had the same capability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think also films, YA films, which I worked on a ton of, those were actually really hard to get people into a theater for, you know, yeah. and those are the actually the kinds of movies that you love to enjoy at home. I mean, Fault, again, is is lightning in a bottle. And because of the emotional stakes of that movie, I think people loved the communal experience and seeing it and sharing it together. Um, but I actually think those movies do so well on platforms because people don't actually want to see them in the theater. They want to watch them at home and they want to watch them over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Like if I think about what the repeat viewing would have been on fault, had it been on a streamer, that's like, that could blow your mind. Yeah. So, well, it's true because like Disney plus a lot of what drives their subscriptions is people wanting to watch frozen 50 times. Right. I can personally testify. My daughter wants to watch it every time we turn on the TV. Right. <laughs> that's right. You just think Disney Plus is the Frozen channel. She doesn't realize there's other things on there. Yeah, well, she she knows now her obsession is Princess and the Frog. That's like her new obsession oh. because it's oh. one we just watched not too long ago. So she's obsessed with that one now. So I at least get a yeah. reprieve from the Frozen universe. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, now, you're now helping Apple TV. Is Apple doing something different than Netflix? Because it again, from a consumer point of view, it feels like one, my Apple TV has almost every every streamer on it to begin with. Yeah. Um, but then Apple TV plus has like their own content base and work that they're doing themselves, which I can't really figure out where that fits into the economy yet. It doesn't seem to be matching one-to-one with the other players. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's different. I think in Amazon and Apple are different because they have a whole other business unit that they're focused on and supporting and, and have so much other income from other places that the streaming part of it, part of it isn't necessarily prioritized. I mean, with Netflix, that's it. And they just want people to spend as much time on the platform as possible, even if it's searching, right? It's like those, inevitably, you're going to find something and you're going to sit on the platform. And if you're on the platform, it's taking time away from whatever their competitors are in terms of gaming or other streamers or whatnot. Apple is interesting. You know, they have their own challenges and that nobody really knows how to access Apple TV plus, right? The, the first thing people say is like, well, I don't have Apple TV. Like I don't have the device. So they have a lot of issues that they need to work out in terms of how to get people on the platform and understand how accessible it is. They also like, if you look at the app, the homepage is anything that you've watched on iTunes, anything that you own on iTunes that you've purchased, that you rented, there's music, um, you know, there's recommendations based on what you've watched, but it's it's stuff that you can purchase on iTunes. It's not until you look down and you see the tab on the bottom right that says originals, and that's sort of the subscription that you're paying for and the stuff that Apple TV Plus is is making and marketing. So, you know, and as you mentioned, the homepage is also taking you to other streamers. Like Amazon is listed there, HBO Max is listed there. So they they actually are, you know encouraging you to leave their platform to watch something else. So I think, you know, it's still Apple TV plus is so nascent. They're, they're only in their first, second year. So as, as they have more success and they start to grow, I think the investment level will change in what they're doing with originals and they'll start to, they will start to prioritize it more. Um, 
But, you know, I think with an Amazon and an Apple, it's almost like a side business, right? It's not, it's not their main source of revenue. Yeah. In a funny way, like I feel their strategy is absolutely so different where the other platforms really, truly went for large library base and that distraction economy. How, how long can we keep you distracted so you're not going to our competitors, really other distractions to keep you out there? Apple, like I'm curious if this, how this thing will play out because they took these gigantic names, Oprah, Spielberg, Jennifer Aniston, like these huge names that created one solid piece of content Everyone consumed that in like a weekend. <laughs> and now they're waiting for the next season. Who wants to do? Like I, I had a curiosity every once in a while. I figure out, is there something out there? Nope. Still like there's a nature show, I think, or something. So yeah. it's, there's a lot of stuff happening in that launch. And then it's way too slow moving to yeah. keep going. So yeah. I'm very curious of like, what is, what is the real play that they're doing? Um, we'll see how it plays out. I have this strategy or this theory that some of the studios know that the economy is shifting and they're playing against this economic shift. So um, one of my conspiracy theories, don't confirm this, I'm a Mickey answer at all. But I think I think Sony and Apple are gonna get married. Sony doesn't have a platform, <laughs> Apple doesn't have a library. They kind of need both need each other. And of course, Sony is a tech company. Of course, Apple is a tech company, they belong together. So Please don't don't even nod that I'm right at all. <laughs> well, it kind of makes well. You think about it. I mean, location wise, it's kind of layers. The Boston Culver City, like right across the street from each other. But I mean, the other thing is like, it, you're right. They Apple TV Plus's biggest challenge in the streaming wars is they don't have a library. They don't have anything that they can lean on, like a Disney or like a Peacock, like an HBO Max, which has all these titles that people just have a nostalgic attachment to. But Apple TV Plus doesn't have that. And I don't but, know if that's going to be a priority for them, you know, yeah. I, or at least not right now. Right. I think, you know, their investment is quality and they want to make great, amazing original programming. Um, but yeah, it leaves sort of gaps in the schedule in terms of <laughs> how much you can watch and when's the next thing. And of course, COVID has contributed to that for everyone. Um, but Apple, I think it, it's hit them hard as well. Yeah, but I think the thing that's smart about what Apple's doing is they're not they're not rushing. They're not like, we need to dominate this space immediately. They're like, we're going to take our time. We're, you know, we're in the classic tech model of like fail fast, but they're sort of taking their time and they're, you know, they're learning how to play the game a little bit, but not in any hurry. Like they don't, and they don't need to rush. I mean, you're, you're right. They're all the other stream, like Amazon and Apple are good examples because Amazon's basically like a consumer goods store. And, you know, Apple's basically a, a consumer products tech store, basically. And they're all just playing in this space because there's an opportunity there. And I just don't think that they don't feel the need to rush because they're not like, like, like Netflix and Disney are going to battle it out. We're going to stay here. We're going to take our time. We're going to yeah. be very purposeful on the movies we make and the TV shows we green light. And we'll figure it out as it goes along. So I kind of yeah. like the deliberative process and the fact that they're just not jumping like they're not you know scrambling like an hbo max and trying to like drive people to their platform like yeah we'll just we'll take our time with all the players doing all the different things including including the theatrical distributors like think about all the players in this field uh which are which are the ones that you guys get most excited about like which are the ones that you say are saying wow i want to go play in that space 
and help figure out this new problem. Because it's not like, I know we all kind of want to live our, our old life a little bit, because but there's a new life out there. So which are the ones that you guys almost are targeting of the problems you want to solve and the people you want to be um, hanging out with? I don't know, Keith, you want to take this one? <laughs> you have uh, more of an you outside know, view at this point. I feel like I'm too inside to make a... Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I would say I, I'm cautiously optimistic that the studios will... I mean, I'm, I'm, I may be a little Pollyannish here, but I'm, ca- I'm cautiously optimistic the studios will... This is the opportune time to break the the studio model that has really been cracking for the last 30 years and to really take what makes the studios and the theatrical experience so great and just sort of re-envision it for the 21st century. And I do think that the studios have the problems that need to be solved right now. I do think there is somewhat of, you know, Tim and I, Tim, we've talked about this, but the leadership of the studio, it's been the same people running the studios for the last 30 years. Yeah. It's the same group of the same people at the table for the last 30 years. And they've been basically living like it's the 1990s. Yeah. So I'm cautiously optimistic that this is going to force a change that hopefully that will lead to a revitalization of the studio world and what the studios can bring to the plate because the streamers, I mean, I'm a, I, I, I relate with what Cammy's saying in terms of it's not, you know, I've never worked at a streamer, but I can't imagine just cutting a trailer and moving on and just being, okay, I'm done. I mean, for me, when I moved from development into film, into marketing, it was like, the great thing was like, when you finished a project, you moved on to the next one, which was great because with film development, you live with something for five years and then Brad Pitt says no. And then the whole thing collapses and you have to start over again. But it's like, with film, it was like sort of you worked on this, you crafted it. It was three or four months. You were with it from the beginning. You got the script. You read the script. You watched the dailies. You were just a part of the process from beginning to end. And then when it was finally out in the world and you came in on Monday and you broke and you saw Tom bringing in his red convertible because you broke 40 million on a weekend. You're like, yes, that was a good day. But you just you don't. Yeah, I don't really think you're going to get that. And in this, in the streaming world, it's very much just like turn and burn, turn and burn, turn and burn, turn and burn. And almost like you sound so old and crotchety. I do. No, I I'm saying I'm, do we? No, no. no do I, we? I mean, I do said, we? I said, because we? we're just like you know, I because I totally agree with you. I mean, there's something so rewarding about that experience, and it's just not something that you can get. Well, I, I'm saying I think there's going to be a, a new future, a reinvention, yeah, a reinvention of that wheel. Because let's be honest, I mean, they were great, but there were a lot of times that I was like, we we we've done this before, right? And it doesn't work. Why are we doing yeah. it again? And it's yeah. just sort of like because that's just what everybody knew. That's what this is how we do it. This is how we've always right. done it. And you know, I'm hoping that this means that because you know, there were a lot of movies that we worked on that we were called in to save the movie because the yeah. movie was just not great. And we were called basically to, to sell a movie that wasn't there. There, yeah. And that was always the biggest challenge. So my hope is that now that marketing is going to play such a bigger role because there are so many other options, marketing may have a more powerful seat at the table when it comes to production. Talking yeah. about like how we can work while the movie is shooting to build a campaign versus just being handed a finished product and be like, go. 
Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And that's honestly one of the refreshing things about the streamers too, is, is you have to rethink the way that you're approaching something because there, right. it's not a world where you can trick people into watching something because the, the first two minutes in and they realize it's not what you sold them, they're out. And then there's customer dissatisfaction and, and people are angry. And, you know, that's, that's not part of the world we live in anymore. You really have to be authentic to what the product is. And if the product is dog shit, <laughs> you know, then we can't gonna smell it. that from my way. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no hiding that stuff anymore. There's no repackaging things and, and trying to make them into the, shiny gold coin that they really aren't, you know, and there's something refreshing about that. Um, because like you said, keep the amount of time and energy we would spend. I mean, how many, how many films did we work on that? We were like, this needs to go straight to VOD. This should not <laughs> be getting a theatrical release. Oh, like, dude. why are we releasing this? Movie? How many, how <laughs> many lot. did we? Yeah. And we all knew it. Everybody yeah. knew it. And exactly. I was like, this is not going to open, but we're still right. going to put all this money on it. <laughs> right. Or we're trying to sell it as something completely different than what it is. And, you know, so, so that, that part, I appreciate, you know, um, that there's, there's not that kind of gaming that exists in marketing for streaming. I mean, I'll pick right back on that a little bit, just saying too, like, I think that the streaming also has allowed for us to dumb down content because now it's so easy that some of those uh, straight to video titles, there's just so many of them. And uh, what, I've been kind of complaining about is that you get these Oscar winning actors doing video on demand kind of titles and nothing else holds up except for the one actor or two actors, but then nothing else, the script, the directing, the storyline is just garbage. But that's like, you're perpetuating this almost like lack of filter of what made yeah. great and how it competed in the world. Um, I, I'm with you guys. I think that I don't think we sound old and crashy. I think that there is some some reality and some honesty of like lamenting what was like we got industry for one reason and that industry doesn't truly exist in the same way anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a lot of folks like us that are understanding have a lot of a wealth of knowledge that can have an impact. And I'm hoping that some of this merger that's taking place of these uh, power groups, the resources available to the streamers and the knowledge that the studio folks have as they come together, I'm hoping we're going to create very, very unique um, kind of big boom moments. Um, I, 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 the one thing that plays on my mind is like, I would, I would love to have been old enough in the seventies to understand what was happening with Jaws. I mean, I knew it was big. I listened to the soundtrack with my friends, but I was still just a child. I wasn't out there in the theaters watching it. But that first blockbuster breakthrough and then the blockbuster life uh, season that we kind of lived through through the, through the theaters and the, through the industry, that's what's come to an end. And then there's going to be a new kind of boom. And I'm curious what that boom is. Like, where is all this attention going to go? Yeah. What the game and that's what I think is exciting. I think that the old system, while it had its perks and it was great to be a part of it, everything's changing now. So there's more, this is what we talk about every week. It's more opportunity to do something that you couldn't have done even 18 months ago because the system was sort of set in place and nothing was going to change, but now everything has to change. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was no Coachella back when we were kids. So like I'm looking at <laughs> our industry, like with the gamers and the streamers and the studio people, like there's going to be a magic moment that's going to define what this next movement's going to be. I think that's what we're all kind of watching out of curiosity. 
And wherever it is, I just want to be in the room. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> this is so great. Okay, so before we wrap, because we have a couple minutes left, you have to tell me about this. Uh, what was the corner called? The, what was oh, the God. Our, uh, our corner of negative reinforcement. <laughs> Ethan and I, we lived through some dark times, I would say, at Fox. <laughs> and we, our offices were right next to each other. Um, and so we would just have a lot of angst, angst. That's a good way to put it. We would have a lot of angst, a lot of like really, really late nights and exhaustion and, and, and angst. And so we called ourselves the corner of negative room. We weren't always the group to come to if you were having a bad, I mean, maybe we were, but we, no, don't, we, expect, were. we don't expect to walk out of there being like, I can Feeling take it You're going to be like, oh, no, I'm really angry. <laughs> the strongest name for a support group. I'm just going to put that out. Um, you know, we were young, a little dumb. We're older yeah. now. We're grown. We're more yes. mature. Yes. And but it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs. And you want we to read laughs. That's like, now we're looking back at those and like, wow, the good old days of negative reinforcement. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. And look, we had, we had a lot of great times there too, Keith. I mean, we, yeah. we were there for some really, really exciting years between Fault and X-Men and Deadpool and you know yeah. we it was it was a really exciting time mm -hmm. um you know we had and good then, years and, and bad years and, but and, I left and, and everything went 100% 100% Keith left and Disney called and that was the end yeah that was the end <laughs> that was literally the end of 20th century fox yeah literally i like two weeks three weeks uh, what what three months after i left that's when yeah. uh, the call was made and yeah boom it was it's gone. crazy to think that it just you know, it doesn't exist anymore. Like that's, I know that's all because like, 88 doesn't exist more. Any, I mean, it's and not its current form. They've yeah. gutted it. And yeah, the Fox is taking it at like Fox. The network has taken it over and yeah, it's not there anymore. So Cammy, I think you just, well. what my first question was that Keith was the most important person in the park because when he left it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you right. start to connect the dots, it kind of makes sense. It's a little <laughs> bit of a stretch, a little bit of a stretch. Um, but even but, look at it, when I left, it was like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. I want to give a shout out to the folks at Refinery because Adam and Brad, I worked with them at Trailer Park. And uh, I think, Cam, you might have been there when I did a little film there called The uh, Lost Medallion. We pushed them. Up. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That was me. That's when right. We were doing that. Wow. Way to wait till the last minute to drop that bomb. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And what was the um God, who played the villain? He was the he's the guy from um like the, Iron Chef. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's amazing to think sort of the little gems that we've all had yeah. to work on in our careers. Well, I can. I met the first time I heard your voice was in Tony's office when we were working on an A-Team spot. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> right. That was a special one, too. They all yes. have like a really special place. Yes, they do. Oh. They absolutely do. <laughs> some better than others, but yes. Yeah. We are half hour mark, but Cammy, it is uh, such a blessing to have you be part of this. He's Thank you guys. Getting better and better. It's just love. Well, I can't say that. We've had great friends everywhere. Maybe <laughs> what we really need to do is have one big show where all these uh, 
folks going to come out, Keith, and, and reminisce through some of these good times you guys had there? That would actually, yeah, that that could be fun. If we got everybody from former Fox on and just talked about all the great times we had before they turned off the lights. Yep, 100%. <laughs> I don't know who would tune into that, but I'm sure that we'd have a good <laughs> You're probably with a lot of people, actually. I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's a major peak behind the window. And it's funny. Um, so, uh, Kim, you'll get a kick out of this before we go. But um, so I, I was texting with Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly Flaster used to be sort of a, a media uh, executive at Fox, now runs media at Disney. Um, and we were just talking about how it's just... The, the, there was something, it was crazy, it was insane, it was stressful, but there was something a little bit magic yeah. about what we had in that department. Because anywhere yeah. else you go, like I've talked to other Foxers, like people who went to Peacock, people who went, and it's just like, it's not the same. It's just, it's there was some vibe there that, you know, listen, as crazy as Tony was, like there was, that created this vibe of that this, an unending sense of like, we just need to build and create and just yeah. keep making stuff. And, and it just, I don't know. It just, it just, it was, it was a special time and a special moment. And it's really hard to recapture that at other places. And that's, yeah. you know, that's more or less what she said to me. She's like, it just made me appreciate how much, how great we had it yeah. when we were at Fox, uh, you know, at that special point, like pretty much from avatar until about, July of 2016 when I left. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing to look back at sort of the catalog of of what we were there for. And, yeah. you know, it's only been a couple of years, a handful of years that you and I and most people have been away from it. Yeah. Um, but already, you know, it doesn't seem to compare to, to what we were working with when we were there. So, yeah. you know, shedding a tear for, yeah. for, for Fox and but hopefully big things to come. Yep. Definitely. All right, you two. Thank you so much for being part of this week's show. We appreciate it. Cammy, you have to come back. If not, be a regular. I keep trying to convince each of Keith's friends, like, could you just be a regular? Because I think you guys fill in the gaps so well for us. We appreciate that. Anytime. And as always, thank you to our producer, Lydia Scarlett. We could not have done this without you. Connor, behind the scenes, help. Thank you for your support. And our team are Go Social. You guys are amazing. Thanks for the work that you're doing. Please join us tomorrow for our Hollywood breakfast on Clubhouse. We're going to talk about um, will Sony buy Apple? We're going to kind of pursue that question even more. And um, tune in next week. If you love what you're seeing, be a subscriber to our YouTube channel. Until then, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.